Hot Damn, you're listening to Season 3 of Frolicking Chronicles. So today we are talking about interview with a vampire and you and interview I interview with the vampire. Yes, that's right. I know I kind of mix it up. I, I do mix it up sometimes. I won't lie. Yes. I'll be honest with you. I was recapping a lot of what was going on on uh, YouTube and it's always conflicting. So most days I will say interview with the vampire However, this morning, I'm not even kidding. Eric was even getting roped into some of the YouTube things. And we will have that playlist so you guys can watch some of the content that we're actually watching uh, to reground ourselves. Because as Tamantha was mentioning, we read this book a long time ago. <laughs> we finished it, I think, before we went to Mardi Gras, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was kind of our goal. Um, yes, yes. Rest in peace, Anne Rice. As many know, um, our queen of vampires has passed away uh, this past December in 2021. And we were anticipating going to Mardi Gras to celebrate Trent's belated 21st and, you know, through Jaden in the mix because he was also 21 by that time. Yeah. And we said we need to reread this book because AMC Plus, all these streaming yeah, services are dropping October 2nd the interview with uh the vampire tv series and um i like we we have been on pins and needles waiting for this and they first were going to release it in august uh that's why we were finishing the book right because we were like oh if it's going to launch in or or drop in august we want to be ahead of it and we want to start talking about all the things uh but now we know officially it will be dropping on october 2nd yeah i'm so excited so i have to figure out how to do my amc plus because uh, I actually am not a subscriber yet, but but, but oh. by the time this airs, I I will be. <laughs> yeah, I that's a oh yeah. I guess I'm gonna have to be too. I don't know if any of all the streaming things we have here in, in within the family. That. Yes. Okay. Oh so do we want to talk about the book first, Miss Anne Rice, um, and then we could talk a little bit about the movie and then our hype about the show or how do you want to, yeah, I think, we're, I think things are going to kind of cross over. Um, yeah. So be patient so with us. Sis, I'll give you the, the lead and you go for it. And then I will, well, in. I think let's first just talk about Anne Rice just a little bit. Uh, you know, Anne Rice, like we said, she just had passed away. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, last late last year. And she and her son, Christopher Rice, had been a part of the new show coming in. But as I was doing a little bit more research on Miss Anne Rice, because uh, you always think of her as in New Orleans kind of thing. And then her and her husband lived in San Francisco. And 41 you know, years they were married. But did husband. you know that her mom named her Howard? <laughs> no. <laughs> I did not yeah, know. Yeah. And so I was a little confused because I, I was trying to research about her and then I said oh is that her dad and no Anne's birth name is Howard Allen named after her father her mom thought it was an interesting thing to do well she <laughs> does the very vampire much, chronicles uh fandom.com she does say she was born in a house that did not focus on gender specifics at all like it was gender fluid there all the time so that makes sense well and she herself will say she doesn't associate with the specific gender herself yeah you know she didn't she didn't really associate with the feminine you know freeliness and that of the south i would could only imagine and 
that as which growing up in Catholicism, you know, defines very much, yes, you and, know, the male role versus the female role. As Catholics know, she did part ways with the Catholic Church. She she had her reasons. She was of the era uh 1940s where they went to mass every day and took the sacrament every single day and her curiosity uh about god and the devil and the atrocities happening on earth like how could they be if there really was a god how could he allow it really had her delve into the good and bad of the world human nature um by the way i find her incredibly kind and compassionate person um in all these interviews like well, she believes in, in social justice she believes in social justice she always has started with the gay activism uh you know but yes yeah, so she did had she had left the church for some time but then she also went back to the church and then she also wrote a book right. you know about from Jesus's perspective which yeah. i have never read um but yeah so Anne Rice um, her mother passed away when she was 15 sadly from alcoholism she was raised in an irish catholic family rice initially imagined herself becoming a priest before she realized women weren't allowed to so then she thought about being a nun uh rice often wrote about her uh fluctuating spiritual journey in 2010 she announced that she was no longer christian saying i refuse to be anti-gay i refuse to be anti-feminist i refuse to be anti-artificial birth control so she really was an activist but then i think as a few more years went by she actually went back to the church for a while um well probably because we have seen some progressiveness within the church but it's certain parishes but then it always reverts back you know to the true religion and the catechist so or the the church so there there it is like the struggle that's real she went i think she just went back and forth so because then here i have a little note that said she returned to catholicism in the 90s and split in 2010 ramses the damned the reign of osiris co-wrote with her son released in 2022 february she left an indelible mark on gothic fiction she um sorry the entire vampire mythology and our collective romantic vision of the american south that was from yahoo.com mary Solossi. so um you know but she was plagued with obviously you know some certain things in her childhood um i you know i can't imagine growing up with an alcoholic mother um and just kind of that dynamic and then being in church every Sunday and all the every day they went being to a devout, yeah, being in devout, you know, Catholicism brings the church every, every day. Yeah. And which we sadly didn't get to visit her church when we were in New Orleans last. Um, I forget just time. the one that she made there. It was time. Um, yeah. One that she infamously did a huge book signing for because the church, um, was basically falling apart and she wanted to bring attention to it as far as preservation efforts, but that church is not consecrated anymore. And I don't believe it was consecrated when she did her book signing, but she got 2000 people to show up there. Wow. So talk about bringing awareness. Yeah. Um, so they just a little bit going back um, on the compassion and kindness thing and watching a lot of these interviews and you brought up the social justice, which yes, of course is very real, but I'm saying her kindness and compassion is on the daily, not just on these big 
platforms. I mean, just with anybody who went to her balls uh, in these interviews, there's one um, that was based out of Chicago. Uh, one of her publishing houses, people were interviewing her and just people from the audience standing up and asking her a question. She really gave them her full attention mm-hmm. and very thoughtful answers. And that's what I'm saying. I feel like she was just very much a kind and compassionate person and took time to be in the moment with well listen she was observant she paid attention she was present which is what a lot of us humans are lacking at this point we're always thinking of the things we didn't do or got to do or have to do and blah, 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 blah. so she was really secure in herself i believe you know that allowed her to kind of have this um very strong foundation to be there for everyone and, and by the way she Kindness. had a beautiful romance uh with her husband stan 41 years being married. That is amazing. Um, tragically, her husband did pass and it was quick. Like within four months, he got a brain uh, tumor or brain cancer. And and it was like she didn't have time to process all of that, let alone their son. So this is somebody also who has had extreme loss between losing her daughter, Michelle, and then losing her husband. And if you ever have a chance to hear her talk about her marriage and the raging fights her and her husband would get into. Like she said, people thought they were going to get divorced and it would be over things like she thought a movie was really well done. And he thought it was ridiculous to even give it a day. <laughs> like these kind of, you know, they're artists. Uh, well, yes. And, and he supported her. It took her five months to write interview with a vampire. And he, at some point he was making enough money. They were both working their way through college. He ended up getting hired at San Francisco uh, university. He was a chairman. It was not his most favorite thing to do, but he said, I will pay the bills. You stay home and write. And that's how interview with the vampire took place. I couldn't find it, but somewhere I read that he, when he read her finished book of interview with the vampire, he said, are you going to be ready for this? Because this book is going to be a hit. Wow. You know, he, yeah. he called it. So she wrote interview while grieving her five-year-old daughter, Michelle's death. So those of us that have read the book uh, know that Claudia originally was five years old, um, a living little walking doll. Um, well, not living because she became a vampire. Uh, she traced Anne Rice. She traced her fascination with vampires back to the 1934 film Dracula's Daughter. So I want to find that and I want to watch yeah. that. I think that's so cool. Um, She also believed vampires were earthlings with heightened sensibility and a doomed appreciation of life, which we do see come to, you know, that realization in Louis struggle, both within the book and the movie. Uh, So, yeah, so I think she was a very incredible, interesting past, interesting, you know, view on life and kind of just that dichotomy of, you know, being raised in religion and then, you know, awakening to there's more than that. And then oh, also appreciating, you know, there's some good parts. Yes. And I, and we have talked about this in seasons past where she has said Catholicism is her mother tongue. And mm-hmm. we can relate to that. You know, um, the church I currently work for is not a Catholic church, but I'm appreciating mm-hmm. learning their, their values and all their all their things that make them who they are and they are very much more progressive than you know the church that we attend to um well and uh, i do believe that a lot of people because the movie came out in 1994 kind of associate that as most people that see the movie before reading the book or don't make time to read the book kind of affiliate every 
all the facts of the story with yeah. that time frame. And she wrote this in the late 70s, yeah. you know, and how how can I say for me, awe-inspiring that she was so aware. Mid, mid to and, late 70s. I think it uh-huh. was published in 76, right? Right, right. But I'm just saying like, you know, 1975, 1976, by the time it hits, you know, publishing mm-hmm. and everything really. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about the era of, um, you know, Vietnam had just finished and she's living in San Francisco and, you know, uh, just all the things with the gay rights there. And she it's pre uh, HIV, pre AIDS pandemic, you know, so just all the things I feel like, I guess um, her other book, which you've read uh, the witching hour. Yeah. I love the witching hour um, is really kind of uh, influenced by the AIDS epidemic, if you will. But I don't know that myself because I haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. Really? You read that somewhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it, she would say that it's more in line with the things that they were going through and dealing with as friends were passing. And um, But again, I can't relate to the About story the myself. I think so. Yeah. Hmm. That would not be my interpretation of it, but I'll have to, you have to send me that article. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then she says that she, um, I wrote the novels about people who are shut out of life for various reasons. Rice wrote in her 2008 memoir called out of darkness, a spiritual confession. This became a great theme of my novels, how one suffers as an outcast, how one is shut out of various levels of meaning and ultimately out of human life itself. That was in an NPR.org, um, article, December 12th, 2021 interview. And then it goes, it goes on to say, long before Twilight or True Blood, Rice introduced sumptuous romance, female sexuality, and queerness. Many took Interview with the Vampire as an allegory for homosexuality to the supernatural genoir. Mm, yeah, that's on point. Mm-hmm. So I think that was also, too, if we talk about the movie, Louis and um, Armand, right? Uh relationship in the movie was friendship but in the book they were romantic they he loved him well I think the very strong word is companion there was companionship and that's a theme throughout the book and and the movie um that you find I was just when you were talking about the age things I just wanted to go um, and research uh, Neil Patrick Jordan, who was the director for Interview with the Vampire. Um, as you know, it was Interview with a Vampire, right, when the film came out. And that guy gave, how I understood it, watching all these YouTube videos on Anne, gave all his earnings from the film to the AIDS Foundation. Wow. So just to loop back to that. So right. I'll try and find um, the video I watched that talked about that and give you guys the minutes, um, you know, like the time stamp. Yeah. Uh, so you guys can hear that, too, because I thought that was very fascinating. Very, very fascinating. So, sis, yes. the book. Uh-huh. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Uh, so very is parts like. Um, wait, are we we're doing spoilers, right? <laughs> I think we have to do spoilers. Okay. Because here's here's, here's how it's going to go. We're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about the things that we've seen on the trailers. Obviously, by now, most of our followers, if you were into vampires, you have watched the actual film with Brad Pitt and with Tom Cruise. The spoilers are going to be mostly from the book because we haven't watched the series yet. 
Um, that mm-hmm. being said, Samantha and I have decided that we are um, each week going to be talking about either Instagram Live, I think mostly Instagram Live, we haven't figured out which platform, but also doing a YouTube video of sorts, recapping the episode we just watched, you know, so there's slotted to start October 2nd and then mm-hmm. every Sunday. So of course we have traveling plans amongst the both of us. So we'll do our best to stay on point, but I think this is going to be um, a amazing way to stay engaged with our people uh, to see how, what they switched up from the book and possibly why they made the decision. Now mm-hmm. I have heard that there is rumor that this is AMC's next Walking Dead, meaning that the they, they're they're looking, they, yeah, they're looking to capitalize on the next big thing yes. for them. I mean, so, the Walking Dead was such a huge. I I don't know that they will ever oh, overcome man. the Walking Dead. Like that was just for how it long this eleven seasons. Seen, I think it remains to be seen. But I agree with you. So many seasons. I'm just excited that that's being thrown out there. I mean, that's setting the bar pretty high for a television series. Right. Uh, I believe Anne Rice originally thought that this was going to be a HBO show, Showtime. She wanted it to be with, because, because I feel like she wanted to be able to go there with the eroticism or sensuality. Like you can't do that on regular television. And she knew that from the beginning. So well, I, interestingly enough, Eric and I were listening to an interview this morning and they, somewhere it was said that the vampires actually never have sex. They don't have sex. So I think they are going to change that in the AMC series for sure. And Rice very much says, though, the exchanging of blood is what the intimacy really was for her in the, in the book series. Um, so I thought that's very interesting that, you know, just I mean, I can see that, that being through. pretty intimate. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so. According to ScreenRat.com, Jessica BB, October 8th, 2020, she wrote some of the biggest changes, uh, movie versus book. Uh, the movie, uh, Louis is a Spanish Lord book. He was born French. Okay. Um, Lestat is very cruel in the book, where in the movie, it's kind of like he's just a jokester. He just don't take anything really seriously. Um, but the level of cruelty that he is in the book is horrifying. Yeah, he I is mean, that the bad adds, guy. He, the hero is Louis. Lestat is the bad guy. But then how I understand it by the the end of the Chronicles, which there's no way we have read all of the Chronicles. No. I mean, Tamantha and I were going back and forth and the Vampire Chronicles book that we bought includes three of them. Then we heard there was five of them. And now I'm hearing there's upwards 13 of them. So if anybody yeah. has that answer, comment below and tell us how far you got into the series. Because that's a, yeah. for me, especially because I'm not an avid book reader. That's a lot of reading, but I'm I'm down to to keep up. Um, well, it is hard to choose. I mean, for me personally, I do enjoy reading, but I haven't been uh, as consistent as I used to be or have been in the past. And, you know, there's just so many great books and it's hard to just get them all. So 15, what did you say? 11, 15 Chronicle? No, books? I'm saying I thought 13, but there may, uh, somebody was saying five. I thought three mm. originally, but I think it's 13 to 15. Yeah, I feel like yeah. there's a lot more. Um, so another difference from the book versus movie, okay. Uh, Lestat feeds off of Claudia in the, um, in the movie, but in the book it's Louis. And that's, actually kind of to me sad a little bit that it was changed for the movie because 
when Louis goes out to and finds Claudia with her dying mother, um, he's at a state of, of peril and he's famished and, you know, hungry. And, you know, he's going against his, like he values life. And so he's going against himself. So to me, I thought that tragedy, uh, they kind of like took from it a little bit, like hmm. in the movie. I, I think what I've been stuck on is how the book included stories that got him to his points of despair, meaning in the film, he loses his family. In the book, he loses his brother. His brother. Well, he still loses his, his family in both stories, technically, but in the in the movie, it's more dramatic in the sense that he loses his wife and his child, right? And so that's his despair. Where in the book, it's his brother. And I sometimes jump over each other, and she didn't even let me get to that part right there. <laughs> so what I was trying to express is that in the film, uh, Anne Rice says, yes, it's very different from the book. In the book, it's his brother's death that puts him over the edge. Yeah. He's even, because um, his mother is still alive, his sister's still alive. There's even some forms of accusation that he may have hurt his brother himself. And it's never really said, but you get the idea that it might have been Lestat who took his brother's life, who who made that ultimate, you know, push. The thing in the movie when um, they developed that background story on how he, you know, Louis didn't want to live anymore. He was just being a drunk and being, he just didn't care about life is because he lost his wife. He lost his children. And they felt that that got to that emotion much faster than him just losing a brother. And I thought that's kind of interesting how Hollywood. Hollywood does that often. It's not wrong. I mean, somebody losing their whole family versus one member of their family would be very significant quickly, you know? So, well, and I, but I think what you're highlighting and what, I, what my point was of saying that he still lost family in both versions, but it was the type of family where he was the lead of his um, family in the book, as well as in the movie. Um, I think if we go back to when was it written 17, uh, the year 1791 or what it was it? Yeah. 1791. He was 25 years old and he was the head of the household because his father had passed in the book. Um, you know, and so his brother passing uh really you know inflicted this hardship for him well he struggle. thought he was to blame mm-hmm. for it because they were arguing right before now in the movie with the loss because that's what most of us relate to is our immediate family uh which would be you know your partner and your child you know and the heartache that would bring so i feel like that was a really big Big switch, but yeah, you're right. Hollywood definitely always does that to try and get the impact to them. Most people well, might not feel that way about the loss of their brother. I don't know. Right. But the thing is, is that they have to condense it. So it's just very yeah. interesting. Like, I, I guess, and my point in bringing that specific thing up is that I'm not trying to hate on Hollywood. Sometimes it does make sense, the decisions they make when you're trying mm-hmm. to condense a, a novel into, you know, a two hour plus movie, right? Um, so I'm not hating that they made that decision. I, oh, no, I don't I don't hate it at all. You can see how that has to go um, to get the story done. The uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up, though, is that it's immediately when you hear in the AMC series that Louis is 33 years old and not 25 when he's turned was very interesting to me because that's a very different age. 20, what you have going on at 25 years old compared to what you have going on at 33 years old are two d- very different things. 
Um, well, and especially back in that era, I would imagine whether it was 1791 or when does the new series take place? 1910. I mean, look, people didn't live to 100 years old back then, you know, so 33 was of, of probably significant age. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. True. True. Mm -hmm. And I, I know a lot of people are having some heartache over that, but look, we already got the aristocratic version, in my opinion, of the movie, seeing Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. I, I'm excited to see the era of uh, jazz coming and, you know, uh, the art deco. I mean, be pre before that a little bit, but, you know, 1910 well, sounds kind of fun to me. Well, we love that era anyway. I mean, I think we're more into the 40s, 1920s, the flappers vibe. That's what they're going to get to. Mm -hmm. I do understand the dynamic of them not wanting to go to the late 1700s. Because number one, can the audience relate to that? You know, we've talked about this, even the Academy, you know, the Academy loves a period piece. But maybe the modern audience, which we keep hearing that phrase over and over again in this whole thing, is not going to want a late, you know, 1776. No, look at, you know. Hey, I know I realize this is going to air in a, in a couple more weeks, but you know, um, the queen just passed of England and we're seeing on black Twitter and Irish Twitter, there are people of this generation that aren't so sad about the queen. So nobody wants to see this kind of hierarchy of power amongst the rich, the poor, and also slavery. So I'm sure that, you know, you cannot, um, <laughs> I think it's very hard to not associate the South with slavery, plantation mm -hmm. owners, all this kind of thing. And so I'm sure the smart people at AMC Plus, you know, if they are looking for the next Walking Dead uh, hit, needed to make it, yeah, they needed to make it somewhat relatable. Think about what's been happening in the world and in our country for the last few years, I, I'm sure. But I'm definitely excited to see. I mean, I have great hopes that this is going to be one of the most entertaining series for us vampire fans and Rice. Um, the fact that her son is still I'm working on the show, mm -hmm. you know, gives me um, like I'm happy for him. He I, how I lost his it. family. He how himself I, has lost his family. Yes. How I understood it. He's actually doing a lot of the script writing. That's how I understood it. So I didn't even know it went that deep. I thought, okay, he's he's involved. He's a producer. But I, how I'm getting across information is like, well, wait a minute. They actually leaned into Anne and leaned into him to write the scripts. Yeah, I will be looking close to see the, um, what the you credit. call it, the credits. Yeah, because I know that he, uh, I, th I read that he was writing a script, like the prequel for Lestat they were writing that together and that had been what they originally had hoped to bring to television but however well, things have worked out now the book Lestat really was successful from out the gate mm -hmm. interview with the vampire wasn't it she said it was actually kind of a flop of, of you know for as far as books being published and then you know selling out um she had her own controversy with, you know, Tom Cruise when the movie finally was going to be made. I think that was, what, 1994? She didn't want Tom Cruise to play him. Mm -hmm. She has, like, a whole intimate thing. She totally delved into the casting of Anne Rice. Like She, she really had, had a total brevy of characters she had in her mind. Um, I'm going to put it, it's already in our show notes, uh, the links uh, to some of the articles that we read. And, um, you know, but, yeah, she was not keen on... Tom Cruise, but, but he, he grew, grew on, on her. her. He grew on he her.
Who are you? What are you doing in my house? I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? The wine has no taste. The food sickens you. There seems no reason for any of it, does there? What if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. And it would be for all time. And sickness and death could never touch you again. Don't be afraid. I'm going to give you the choice. I never have. He took took the role very seriously and he, you know, look, I think, I think we talked about this the other night, a couple of texts, people are fuming about the casting of the AMC plus because it isn't this, you know, words, Uh, hetero patriarchy, too woke. I'm not having it. And Samantha is right. We were texting back and forth the other night. And and maybe at some point we should actually screenshot some of the texting. That would be (laughs) be hilarious for you guys to read through that. I was so upset with this YouTube person. Person, my text, be aware. No, I don't know if I did. (laughs) And I I said, and I said, what, who is this guy? A lot of these YouTubers are claiming they read the book. They're like super fans and this is too woke and they're concerned. And then that you, and of course it's clickbait, like Samantha says and here I am getting the bait and I think and I say there's no way he read this book there's no way he read but this he book. said he and read the book he right? said he was an avid fan of Anne Rice and I thought how is this possible because the big controversy is and we love him from Game of Thrones yes, you know JK, uh, Jacob Anderson and he when I'm not going to say I wasn't like like had to take a second look like, oh, wait, they casted him. I mean, but I was excited and I wanted to know more. So that curious card versus concern card definitely overpowers for me. And I thought to myself, did they not realize Brad Pitt was Creole in the book? And Tamantha and I are going to go back and forth on this a little bit because somewhere I read in the book that Brad Pitt was Creole or identified as Creole, as Tamantha said, and I remember thinking to myself when I was reading the book, oh my gosh, why did they cast Brad Pitt then? So this has been a layered conversation for Tamantha and I because he is described the way Brad Pitt looks in the book. But our our mind side of what a Creole person looks like. But, well, no, for me, um, well, he was born in France in the book, but on page four, the vampire utterly white and smooth, brilliant yeah. green eyes. Um, but that's because he's a vampire. He has white and smooth, right? Because, it, you know, he has no real. So he, you're saying saying he became that after he was turned. Yeah. and But then the vamp, the vampire's full black hair, the waves that were combed back over the tips of the ears, the curls barely touched the edge of the white collar. He is 20 so he wasn't years. blonde. No. Yeah. So, so I'm telling you in my mind, I was like, they didn't cast Brad Pitt correctly. <laughs> I love Brad Pitt as that character, you know? Um, there was just so many great things about the 94 film. And to, once again, to the ode of Anne Rice and her brilliance, um, the whole gender fluid thing. And mm-hmm. 
she wrote all her characters bisexual. So that was the other thing in these two woke videos. Like they need to get right with the Lord and stuff like that. And I say, how are you an Anne Rice fan? And you do not know that her characters are always bisexual and there's no gender specificness. They're gender uh, fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I was I, like, Ooh, who is this person and why is he getting so many views? Like, this is crazy. You know what it is, is because we're all hungry for more. We're all hungry to hear anything we can about this show. And sometimes that's a rabbit hole of ridiculousness because right. these people, you know, and so that's why we're not going to say who this YouTuber was, but I did watch it, um, you know, the next day. And I was like, oh gosh, please. Here's what I'm going to say to <laughs> oh, if you are, if you are uh, of, of the woke, um, using that as a derogatory insult or concern about wokeness, then to me, you're probably leaning a little too far alt-right and there's not enough open-mindedness to appreciate what we have before us. In my opinion. Also, Anne Rice was extremely woke in the 1960s. Yes, that's what I'm saying. What she was talking about? Her mind was liberated. Even Mm -hmm. growing up with a devout uh, Catholicism household, her mind was open, you know, love all, right? Be kind. Yeah. yeah. Um, what she loved about the church was the social justice aspect, which we've seen a lot of people get away from, you know. And you know that uh, when she was growing up, her Catholicism also included meditating on all the, the moons. On the no, moon. I didn't. I didn't read yeah. that or hear that. Wow. Yeah. It, it, I just, because I've been immersed in this, like, you know, just cave of Anne Rice. I mean, um, she's a very fascinating person. Incredibly. So, so fascinating, uh, incredibly interesting, uh, scared of the dark. Well, and by the way, Anne is, she's crazy cool. I'm telling you and crazy, crazy. She has, um, said, and this interview, Eric was like jaw dropped. She goes, going back to her social justice and all her causes, um, because, of course, most of the interviewers during that time, I'm talking like in the 70s and 80s, were male. And so they mm-hmm. always want to talk about her eroticism. Of course. Those things that they brought in. And then so let's talk about prostitution. And so you're OK with um, people like using their sexuality. And she goes, no, actually. I don't support prostitution because of the exploitation of women. Boom. I was like, wow. yes, that, So yeah, then different from a stripper, right? Different from a stripper who you know what's the, the thing. But let me finish this because I think somewhere Anne Rice was the influence for a very popular show called Dexter. Because this is what she says in the video, in the interview. She says, many a time she has fantasies of driving around in her limo lined with plastic and killing all the pimps. Wow. And I said that. So I'm like, and both Eric and I immediately, Dexter, we're like, this wow. is crazy brilliant. And um, yeah, so there's a bit there of a- There you go, it's a, it's a fine there. line I, between, yeah, being psychopath, sociopath, yeah. or, you know, moving but to the But there's actually putting this in her wheelhouse, like, yeah. oh man, I'm gonna drive around my limo and I'm gonna, you know, line it with plastic and kill all these people because it's, it is, it hurt her heart to know these this exploitation right. happening. Right, you know? it still does. Um, um, but no, what I was gonna say was interesting is that you had watched interviews with male interviewers where I had watched a couple with more female 
So I had, I, I had, had both. two our playlist, um, but the two that I watched um, was a, f- a female lead one. Was so, did you have white hair? Christianity. Blonde or no, white. The, Chica- the Chicago one is her friend. I feel like her name is Alice, maybe. I don't uh, remember that she, closely. I believe that she published Interview with the Vampire. I believe she published a lot okay. of books. That one was good, and that will be in our, our playlist because at about um, 28.03 and 28.30, that's kind of interesting. Those numbers are all in there. Uh, they start talking about Oak Alley Plantation, which Tamantha has visited and we've talked about in, in previous seasons. And they and she brings up, and I say she, I mean Anne, brings up how in the film they used Oak Alley Plantation, but that wouldn't have been correct because Brad Pitt would have been living in a Creole plantation and they look vastly different. You know, there's not these two galleries. And as we know from the Laura Plantation, mm-hmm. it would have been, in, it would have had a color to it, um, kind of to me like a terracotta color. Um, to me, I don't was, know why I always feel like I, it was yellow, but it was they yellow. Had a, oh, maybe they, was had yellow. A, they had a white wash them to hide that they were French. Is that yes, correct? Yes, yes. Um, so they had right. to paint them white along the river. And then, you know, when that, when the times changed, they got to turn it back to the vibrant colors that the Creoles were known for. Um, but to your point, people also forget that there were free people of color yes. in the French Quarter in New Orleans. I, did you mark that part in the book? Um, I probably did. I marked um, it. I wanted, my... I'm going to try and read it. And it's, okay. uh, and forgive my pronunciations because it's a, it's a bit of an excerpt. But I think that our viewers would find this um, interesting. But let me describe New Orleans as it was then and as it was to become so you can understand how simple our lives were. There was no city in America like New Orleans. It was filled not only with the French and Spanish of all classes who had formed in part its particular erotocracy. I'm saying that word wrong. You know, erotocracy. Dang it, why? I'm going to spell that word. Jeez, I tried to practice that word. Still mess it up. There you go. I'm still spelling that wrong. But later, with immigrants of all kinds, the Irish and the German in particular, then were not only the Black slaves, yet unhomogenized and fantastical in their different tribal garb and manners, but the great growing class of free people of color, those marvelous people of our mixed blood and that of the islands, who produced a magnificent and unique case of craftsmen, artisanship. Uh, and poets and we owned feminine beauty. So they talk about it in the in the book. And Eric's what, gonna laugh at me that I missed. What up. page is that? Page thirty-nine. Yeah. So, and that's the thing when you are reading the book, those um, story bits stick with us. And so, for I'm gonna say both you and I seeing the casting of uh, Jake Grey Worm from Game of Thrones, we were excited. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, oh, you know, person of color is kept because it is too, like we were talking about free people of color, the Laura plantation, that was a Creole plantation. They owned slaves because it was profitable. Well, eventually became, yeah, because there was no heir. So she became the heir, right? Um, Which leads to another part of the book that people don't know about it unless you read it is Bob's uh character. I hope that we see some facets of Bobette in the AMC. Oh, because Louis loved him a Bobette. 
they they lost um her brother so he goes to her almost like a dark angel of sorts and encourages her to run the plantation herself do not just go and get married and you can do this you can do this kind of thing and it's much more complex in the book but that's the highlight reel of it yeah Mm -hmm. and they i mean the trueness of uh feminine power you know giving he was helping her along to figure out to learn how to do you know run the plantation uh so that was very um interesting i i think in the book as well um frenier babette's brother um Louis was horrified that uh, he would be attacked by Lestat. And I think that he actually had an admiration for Frenier himself, mm-hmm. you know. He Quite possibly. Some, mm-hmm. Quite possibly. Because he was always trying to protect him because yeah. Lestat had already had his, like, that kid pray to him. You yes, know? he Lestat wanted to get that guy, kill him. And I just felt like Louis had a deep love and adoration for him. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it was his own possibilities. Um that kind of led him there. That too. So the book is, if brother, you, like having that, you know, now his brother wasn't alive to see his brother grow to that age of, of being that person. Um, right. But it was also interesting that his brother was a religious, uh, Louis's brother that passed away. Yes. Patrick was a, a religious fanatic and had visions and wanted to be a priest. Very and so, much fanatical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the book was so interesting and let's, uh, Armand's character doesn't get that much play in the 1994 movie where uh, actually Louis and Armand go off to travel the world and have a very um, uh, can we back a little bit though? Sure. This. Let's talk about why Lestat and Louis even cross paths. What they do get correct in the film and in the series up to come is that Lestat was by all accounts stalking Louis because he wanted that plantation. He wanted the money that he wanted the he, money and he came from a poor family or he came from not of means where he saw the money. He had to work on the farm and he had to, you know, do and his dad wasn't supportive of all the books he was reading and all these things. So it's an interesting character arc too from the book to uh the film because you get this uh definite idea like he's annoyed with louis always reading and then when claudia comes into the picture that he's you know they're both teaching her arts and they're all you know the languages and all the things and he's like annoyed but then when in the book he's taking care of his father and he needs to continue to take care of this old blind old man and so i said oh my gosh like what a missed opportunity to not talk about these stories I hope that AMC will talk about these stories, but I don't know if they will or not. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just to me very interesting dynamic in the book that he was looking for a place to caretake, help caretake for his father. Well, um, and that's a real concern for many people having to take care of their elderly parents. And because the dad is blind, he doesn't know mm-hmm. that they're not eating dinner at the dinner table. Yeah, I mean, all the things that get, the slaves notice. Yeah, and the servants are getting suspicious, like, oh, they're actually have empty plates and just clanking their like for Okay. And so you so you also brought up a, a excellent um kind of highlight for me when we're talking about Claudia and how Louis encouraged her to be educated and read books and learn how to play music and be um you know into the arts of sorts where Lestat actually in the book and even in the movie just kind of dresses her in the most fabulous of child clothes and fashion and kind of just this little plaything in a way but 
I want to say that many people, um, well, some of these reviews that we've seen are aghast that Claudia is also of a mixed uh, race and or uh, is older, casted mm-hmm. at 14 mm-hmm. instead of five. But here's the thing, Claudia in her body, she's trapped in a child's body in both the book and the movie, but yet her mind has grown and yes. evolved. She's a grown yeah. woman, you know, and this is like, if you go back to Twilight White, the children were, you know, their children in those Twilight books couldn't evolve or grow. They were always trapped as a toddler, always trapped as whatever. No, Claudia was incredibly smart. Yeah, incredibly. and she years old by the time. Yes. And, and so that her body was stuck in this thing. Yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. Exactly and then let's happened. just talk about it really quickly. I think that Claudia, um, and I don't have the, the actress's name down, um, she is the perfect representation of both Louis and Lestat in the AMC Plus version because um, if this is their child, as you were talking about gay parenting in some aspects, right? Because Lestat in the book brings home Claudia as a gift to Louis, kind of like, oh no, yeah. this will be our child. You yes. know, so I learned that part in the book. By yes, the me too. And I just think like, wow, wow, Anne Rice. It was so much fun to reread the book because back when the movie came out, you know, whenever the movie's coming out, I'm like mad rushing to like finish the books. And so you kind of forget little tidbits or forget some fun facts or forget just some of the cool um, story elements. And because the movie's so easy, you're so much easier to rewatch. You kind of gravitate to those talking points versus what is in the book. So I think that, I don't know how many of you joined us on our journey for the virtual book club, which you can follow on our Instagram at Frolicking Chronicles. That's where we normally announce first uh, what we're going to be reading. And uh, I mean, it was just, for me, just quite enjoyable. And because there was such a big time lapse between us finishing the book and going to New Orleans, which you guys know our Patreon members uh, have seen um, our little visit to Anne Rice's at the Rice family tomb in Metairie, uh, Louisiana. Uh, It's like, I don't know. It was just such a great, I feel like we're so lucky this year to get so much. And we wouldn't have no, yeah. I mean, it was just, because that was already on our calendar. So mm-hmm. we didn't know um, she wasn't feeling too well or however that all went down. But definitely I told Tamantha, no, we are Ubering over there. We are making a day of it. Um, I just, Mardi Gras is amazing, but it was cool to have just that peacefulness uh, at that cemetery that day. And uh, and just think about all, all the things over the decades that Anne Rice mm-hmm. has brought to the table. Okay, so um, I realize we've been talking. I don't know. I'm not looking at a time clock here, but um, we haven't talked about our cocktail. Yeah. Okay. And um, I want to tell you guys about our cocktails this evening, uh, this afternoon, whatever time it is. Uh, Okay. It is, we chose for this episode, a red wine spritzer. Okay. This is one of my go-to easy pour refreshing cocktails at the end of a work day, especially right now, um, we're in the beginning of September. It is muggy. And I'm telling you, this is also how to not waste your wine. If you crack open a bottle of wine for cooking or, um, you know, just having a little red wine with your pasta, the next day, pour 50% into your little wine glass with ice 
and top it off with some sparkling water. Uh, I'm telling you, or sparkling soda. Um, and then you garnish with the orange slice. This is such a, I don't know. It's to me, it's just, I love this, a red wine spritzer for so many reasons. And tip, I used to be, have to be the cocktail wife for my husband's many, many, many uh, cocktail parties and different things he had for his uh, work. You're hydrating as you're also having a little alcohol. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's really, I mean, so, and really if you, you know, cause sometimes you're in these kind of crowds where everybody's just drinking it's just, oh, just give me a little bit more soda water. Give me yeah. a little bit more soda water. So I love it. But I'm I'm going to confess to our Patreon um, and podcasters that because we started this at like 11 um, and we have some things we're doing later today. I'm just drinking pomegranate juice with sparkling water right now, which looks like a red wine spritzer. And so... Um, Last night I had a red wine spritzer. And I'm I'm cheating. I'm Look having at your cool one. glass. I, okay, by the way, this was at Total Wine for $12.99. It oh my gosh. You're on it. And it was a total impulse buy. And I just, I loved it. So that's so much fun. And this is just a blood orange. Um, I don't know if it's considered soda or what. But um, I put it with the peach because I, um, once again, to my said, it's early in the day. Yeah. And driving later. But we will do uh Tamantha will show you at some point the cocktail with the wine spritzer which would be amazing yeah we'll do a little thing for instagram or tiktok and i don't know anybody was curious what type of plantations that louis actually owned they were indigo plantations um which were quite uh, oh the dye yeah um they okay. made lots of money so that's how he got a lot of his things and then as he uh navigated his new life he would have give money to his sister to invest with her husband and that was a whole funny bit because he's like her husband's an idiot but he's you know like <laughs> an idiot kind of thing uh and so he wouldn't ask any questions so it kind of worked out for his favor you know oh Not my gosh okay so, so i'm gonna say too though that one thing i could not uh, going back to the book versus movie and i feel like we're gonna see a little bit of this scene in the amc plus is that listen, these vampires are not afraid of crucifixes and can go into churches. And Louis, when he murders the priest in the book, and that's very different from what they're showing on the AMC trailer. They're showing it killing the priest. Oh, that's right. Okay. Okay. And I thought, I feel like we need to do our own review of, of what is these videos people make the reactionary videos. Right. And like I said, I, really am feeling strongly that Samantha and I are going to do as extended content talking about each episode that comes out. So how frequent, because obviously we all have busy lives mm-hmm. uh, I can do it once a week, but worst case scenario, we'll be doing them every other week. And we're just recapping like one to two, two episodes together, depending on how time, how time is. I thought the other thing, and I'm going to be interested when they go to Paris. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, in the 1994 film, Claudia masterminds a plan to get rid of Lestat. They don't know all these vampire rules and all these things because Lestat the etiquette, the vampire etiquette. Yeah, he didn't keep he didn't keep them in the know, and we're finding mm-hmm. out that it may have been very intentional. It may not have been. I, we don't know, and I think they are going to lean into who actually created Lestat at some point, and I think that will be very interesting dynamic. Okay. That being said, when they get to Europe, sis, did you not find it totally 
mind blowing, like that there are vampires over there, but they were not nice and, you know, fantastic. Not only were they weren't nice, they were scary. They were scary, but also I feel like, um, doesn't Armand talk about like, because in the book, I believe Claudia and Louis kind of come across a vampire that they're curious to meet so that they can um, ask him questions and they find out he's basically like a zombified uh, vampire. He's just kind of an animal that just eats and, you know, he exists, but there's no mind growing. No. And that's the thing that's, they get to the shore. And to me, I don't know why, while I was reading, I felt like it would be like the mountains in Romania or something like this. And the creature almost had undertones to me, like a werewolf, um, Mm -hmm. very beastly, very rugged, um, tattered clothes is how I kind of remember it. And, um, no regard for life, no regard for fellow vampires. Uh, he, he goes to attack, uh, right. Louis and Louis is protecting Claudia at that point. And Louis then destroys th- this guy. I mean, they, they obliterates him. Don't mess with yeah. my kid. And so I can he... just read a little bit here. It says, then a faint scent came with the wind. It was the scent of blood at once arousing me against my will, the warm, sweet scent of human blood, blood that was spilling, flowing. And then I sensed the smell of a living flesh. And I heard in time with the feet, a dry horse breathing and this is just getting into like that that creature thing and when they get to this village at the they actually pass a cemetery they see that somebody's being buried but somewhere it's like throwing you off with like the descriptions like it didn't seem like a normal funeral it doesn't seem like even just the differences would be because it's in a foreign country like there was something more going on there and sure enough you you find out that this village has been affected by this creature and so now that this young woman uh, a wife of a painter has been killed they're anticipating her turning into a creature and so there's like a whole thing in the book yeah and it was Um, so fascinating but i'm going to tell you to that specific moment this zombified vampire what have you just kills to kill does it matter Armand specifically talks about their kind, our kind. If you do not feed your mind, if you are not constantly trying to expand the mind, then that's how you end up being that kind of creature. And I thought, come on, Anne Rice, are you telling me like she's telling, encouraging people to always evolve, mm-hmm. and keep learning, keep, keep learning. learning. Right now in the in our social, um, our political environment, what I find very hard to contend with is people who stay in their box. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get it. I am trying to get in everybody's business. And I understand the thing of staying in your lane, but you have to understand and be aware and grow your mind, as Tamantha just said. That's awesome. I feel like just constantly layering in her personal things, her personal passions in her heart about uh social injustice and all the, the things into these books. If you really start to to peel away. Deep. And that's what I was saying to even to when I'm reading different books, I'm also reading whether it's self-help books or, you know, it's untamed and, you know, um, social justice books. And then I'm trying to fit in these fun books and, you know, these story books. And so there's only so much time for me. In fact, I've actually even introduced audiobooks. people like get your audible or whatever you do to listen to books, because sometimes you can just listen to books while you're doing your chores, cleaning your house or, you know, in the office driving and this is a very good way to open your mind to other uh types of categories and you know check out different subject matters besides just having 
but I love a book in my hand. Don't get me wrong. That is my favorite I thing. love the paper, the paper. I yeah, love the skin to paper feel. Yes, but um, I will say this. Um, Anne Rice did say in the beginning, she felt like she could relate to Louis much more than she could relate to Lestat. But as the Chronicles grew, she found herself relating more to Lestat. And I thought that was very powerful. And she does say Lestat had the powers of an angel. And so when you think of how Tom Cruise played that character, I thought, you know what? He kind of did have that angel vibe a bit, you know, the Mm -hmm. beautiful jawline. Um, I just, uh, I you can know, the see that and just the way he, he his charisma in the film, and I, I think that's why he didn't ultimately grow on her. I mean, not her first choice, but when you say Tom Cruise did take the role very seriously, I understood that he was married to Nicole Kidman at the time they were living in Paris, and he really immersed himself into reading the book and all the things so that he could become Lestat. And I, yeah, I, I think Tom Cruise pulled off. But I'm, I, I am so super too. excited, though, about this Sam Reed guy. I don't know Sam Reed. I don't know much about him at all. I also know that she was not like she was like, OK, but once again, she's she's very open. What I like about Anne is like she'll say what she said, but then she'll say, but this is where I'm at now. And I kind of like I, I love Tom Cruise's. She's <laughs> not only reflective, but she's willing to say, like, it worked out. Like, and I yeah, enjoyed it. She's not so stubborn or she's not so, you know, willful. Okay, so here's here's also two I'm going to say, like, let's talk about Louis' character. A book, movie, um, you know, Brad Pitt's character is, um, I, I feel like there's, we're going to see, because the guy that wrote the show or is producing the show, whatever, he said that we're going to see a stronger Louis in this one. Yes. And I'm excited to see that because even Brad Pitt has said himself that he just had a hard time playing this kind of weakling, uh, not weakling, but just more of a softer character, maybe more passive in ways. Um, I thought that was also very interesting kind of talking point that, you know, but I actually appreciated the softness of Louis. That morning, I was not yet a vampire, and I saw my last sunrise. I remember it completely, and yet I can't recall any sunrise before it. I watched the whole magnificence of the dawn for the last time as if it were the first. And then I said farewell to sunlight and set out to become so I'm curious yeah. to see how it's going to come out because I just feel like there are, it's okay to be masculine and also have sensitive uh, sensitivity. You know, um, you don't have to be always just this massage, like, you know, hetero or caveman type person, you know? Right. Um, right. And so, uh, yeah. So I'll be interested to see how that translates to the new TV series. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. And you know, the guy who's doing the AMC series, he, he was very involved. Uh, he was a director of, uh, Breaking Bad and and so I think that, I think it's going to be great. I I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I think it'll be, um, you know, listen, TV is escapism as is, you know, movies. And so bring it on. Like, I feel like this is great. Um, I haven't been watching the walking dead very much. Uh, I know it's in the last season. I actually was kind of like, oh, I guess I'll be able to if I get AMC Plus now because of interview. <laughs> but I, I honestly, I don't even I don't even know that I need to even catch up on Walking Dead because it's kind of just the same old thing, in my opinion. Um, 
but I'm looking forward to the vampire series to see, uh, you know, how it goes. And I think it's just going to be fun to watch in perfect time in October, you know? Yeah. So, it's going to be awesome. Um, October 2nd, this Sunday, uh, right. When it aired, when this show airs, we're going to be perfect into Halloween and finally into fall. I uh, don't know. We'll get that cool, crisp uh, weather. <laughs> right, right, right. I hear you, sis. Well, hot damn, you guys, if you haven't read the book, please do. I think you'll still be pleasantly surprised, even if it's a light read in between the AMC show and then revisiting the, the film. Book, even, yeah, I would say because uh, it would be good. Now, the audio book, I will say, threw me off. Oh, it did? Is it because of the narration or? Yeah, it's because oh. um, it's very much uh, spoken. Uh, Louis has a very strong French accent. Ooh. And I couldn't get my brain to connect Brad Pitt and like the book and then the French accent. So, so I, um, I went back into the book. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, that's a good All point. right. Okay. I- well, sis, cheers. Um, our faux red sangrias. I mean, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> red wine spritzer. <laughs> All right, guys. Cheers. <laughs>